It's Monday. You know what time it is. It is now FRPC Hoops Monday edition, and I am here with the one and only Canadian Bomber, the Canadian Shaman, the Canadian Bill Simmons, and the Canadian son of Loretta Curran, and for this podcast, the Canadian Raphael Stone. Nico Miatello, what's up? Not much, man. I'm I'm sitting here having watched some less than entertaining, I'll say, conference finals matchups. And at this point, I'm just trying to pass the fa- press the fast forward button trying to get to these finals because uh, these two series have not been a whole lot of fun to watch. I actually think the Denver Lakers series has been pretty entertaining, personally. Jokic is amazing. Yeah. One. Two, uh, the reemergence of the real Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. And fun for sure. And uh I think I think I might uh be talking about Michael Porter Jr. a little bit later. But um Bro, just how was your weekend? How was that? Uh, my weekend was pretty good overall. I I'd say there obviously some some stressful things came about throughout throughout the weekend. It always does, but we handled it and we're we're moving forward. I'm I it is <clears throat> a Canadian national holiday today. We are on Victoria Day. Um, unfortunately, my fiance has to work, and uh, no, no celebrations really planned. But uh, overall, it's still nice to have the national holiday, and then we're gonna take a couple days off later this week because of it. Right on, right on. So, in Victoria Day, what what is this considered in in Canadian lore, what is it? Educate the folks. Um, oh, man, this might not be the best. It, I know it has something to do with Queen Victoria. Bay. Okay. It's, uh, it's not, not a day that is necessarily celebrated beyond the fact that everyone calls it May Long, May Long Weekend. The, the day that normally camping kicks off, camping season is really big out here. Okay. Alberta, so it's it's normally the first sign of that, but beyond that, it doesn't have too many uh, deeper meanings to your average Canadian. All right, all right. I was just trying to get a lay of the land a little bit personally, but fair enough. And, and the lay of the land is like it exists. We get our day off, but uh, we we don't really get. <laughs> well, shout out for the day off. We like that. Shout outs to Canada. Enjoy your day off, Canada. You know, relax. Go see somebody. Go hang out. That's what we want. But we are here to talk about hoops. We do have some, I guess, if you want to call it, this is, it's unprecedented what's going on yeah. uh, in the Boston-Miami series. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> The only thing that I can say to it is this. 
Jimmy Butler went to a voodoo priest yeah. before the playoffs started. He must have. He got some sort of voodoo power mm-hmm. because for some reason nobody wants to blitz this guy ever. Oh uh, man, well we've seen we've seen teams blitz him a little bit this playoffs and he's a little embarrassed him. Like blitzing Jimmy, I think the main reason you don't do it is historically it's been a bad bet. He's one of the better passers from the two guard position in the sport. So if you if you're trying to send that pressure towards him, some of those fantastic Miami shooters are about to get open. I think Okay, you call him fantastic. <laughs> Man, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent don't miss. Bro. Miami digs these people uh, out every single time, and they're both completely killing it in this series. Can we talk about the elephant in the room that this just doesn't happen? Like, you can't – I'll put it this way. Usually, after a team wins a championship, there's a bunch of copycats out there. Yeah. There will be if Miami somehow wins the NBA Finals. Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm already picking Denver mm-hmm. in a gentleman's suite of five. Yeah. No disrespect to the Miami Heat. I think you've gotten all you could out of your talent. I think you've gotten everything. There's nothing to be ashamed of either. Yeah. At all. This is this is as good as it gets. And they've knocked off some giants in the in the Eastern Conference. You know, Nico, we were talking last night and just list them off. Giannis and the Bucks. Right? Yeah. Took them out, boom. They're gone. Yeah. They then Philadelphia. And now they're Coming to take Boston out, coming into the playoffs, I was pretty. Well, they took out the Knicks. They had the Knicks, Milwaukee, because yeah, 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 Boston played Philly. So, yeah, so you have a situation where they took out the number one seed and the number three seed, and then the number three seed took out the number two seed for you, or no, two seed took out number three seed. Sorry about that. For you, so they've, you know. I mean, they've cut through everyone in this playoffs, and it's been multiple teams who we've came into this playoffs thinking they're potentially the title favorites. I I agree with you on Denver having this series wrapped up relatively fast. But, man, I've counted Miami out in every single round of this playoffs, and they continue to just step up to the level of competition. And Jimmy's been there before to the finals, and he knows what it takes. I don't think he's going to run out of gas this time. So uh, coming into the finals, I was just praying any matchup besides Denver Miami and now we're about to get Denver Miami and I can't wait. I'm so excited for that series overall. It's just both those teams are playing at the top of their game and it's 
it's something interesting and kind of new, even though we've seen Miami there many, many times this millennium. The only reason I'm picking the Nuggets in five is because I think there's some sort of like reality-based thing that happens at some point. Again, if Miami wins the championship, just write the movie right then. Oh, just yeah. whoever is the hot writer, director, Congo, just pluck them. Let's say for some reason Miami's up 3-1 on Denver mm-hmm. in this hypothetical. Just go get the whoever the hot tandem is. I, there's a writer strike, so that probably can't happen right now. So, yeah. But when it does end, right, you grab those two people and you send them to Miami and you start interviewing Riley and, you know, and the owners and uh, all the staff members because it, it will be a movie for sure. Yeah, man, if... If Miami wins the championship, Gabe Vincent and Max Struess might be able to fund the movie themselves with the $100 million contracts they might have waiting for them out in free agency. Obviously, there is an exaggeration there, but like... And here's the thing. Somebody will overpay for them, and they will not be as effective as they were this year. Yeah. This is classic Tyler Johnson contract syndrome. Josh Richardson... Mm-hmm. James Johnson. There's more mm-hmm. guys than we even Hassan. Andre Blatch. Oh, remember that contract? Yeah. 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 I, Gortat. That was a good one as well. But the, the Wizards have, have some good ones. I'm just sticking to the Miami contracts because, like, if you just look at the contracts they've given, even Duncan Robinson a few years yeah, ago. Absolutely. They, every time Miami has a few guys coming up against free agency, they seem to put out an incredible team that can make a lot deeper of a run than we expected. And this time it looks like it might bring them all the way to the championship. It's got an opportunity to at the very least. Yeah, still Denver in five. I'm going to go, I'm going to beat that drum until I can't beat it anymore. Actually, um. Now, Boston is in a real situation here. And the one thing that I want to say about it um, personally is that I'm looking at their team and their roster and I look at this and this is a failure, right? We're, we're all in on that. But I have a hard time given up on this core, you know, but it gets expensive. So you have some decisions to make in Beantown. Uh, You really do. I want to, I'll save like trades and stuff later, but I just want to kind of talk it through a little bit. Um, Can we just say that, you know, Missoula wasn't ready for this position and chalk it up with that. Is there any way we can go get, like, I don't know, Vogel to be his bench coach and then roll it back? Yeah, I think that's the move you're going to need to make, especially considering they just extended Missoula midseason and gave him that long-term deal. 
and you're not even coming a year off that deal. You're coming like half a year off that deal. You can't really move on from the coach just yet. You say that, you say that, and I have people in my life that tell me different. Well, that, that are close to that organization. It's possible. I, I could see it happening. I just, I, it's, it's hard to get an owner to spend that much money on the coaching position, especially right after you've just lost DMA and, even before that, your your head coach went to step and be the general manager. It could happen, but I think well, they're way more likely to go in the direction you were talking about in bringing like an established voice in behind Missoula. Um, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure who that that will be right now. I I kind Doc of Rivers. Feeling, yeah, that's that's where I was gonna go. It's not going to be Doc Rivers, though. But I, I, I like it. I'm not completely convinced because I feel like Doc is sitting in a situation where I don't know if any of these coaching gigs will take him. And I think he's going to want to stay in the business for TV. 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 I'd like to see him on TV. Get Mark Jackson off and Doc Rivers in. That'd be perfect. But. Nico, are you telling me you don't want to hear, Mama, there goes that man. No, no, I don't want to hear. Hand down, man down. His breakdown of the Lakers series was, you just got to tell Anthony Davis to win the matchup against Jokic. Just go win the matchup. Well, my God, man. Like, if you could just tell someone to go beat Jokic, I think we would have solved that by now. Just go beat Mike Tyson, man. Why are you? Don't be afraid of him. Just go in there and hit him in the face. Insane to me, but uh, yeah, I I kind of think Doc might end up in one of these assistant roles throughout the league. I there are a few young coaches who I think could use some of the guidance. And after uh, today, we got some news out of the Milwaukee coaching search having narrowed it down to their top three. And if they ended up bringing in a guy like Kenny Atkinson or Adrian Griffin, who were two of their options, I think a guy like Doc Rivers, who has some legitimate like experience at the highest levels, even if he's, he's lost multiple times in clutch situations, Atkinson is an adjustment guy who I, I trust to do that part better than him. So, Doc could definitely step in and help him with the being the leader in the face of the franchise, which is something Doc's been great at throughout his career. He say what you want about him, but he will step in and take the criticism right on his face every time to protect his team. So I think Kenny in his first stop seemed to be a guy who could have used a little work in that situation. So having Doc with him might be nice, but even a guy like Nick Nurse, who, like, the biggest struggle about him is continuously calling out his players publicly in the media and struggling with player development. Those are two areas Doc's been incredibly proficient at. So I think some of these guys who are looking at head coaching jobs right now could look at a guy like Doc Rivers who might be taking a year off and see that that's a guy who can add a lot of value to my coaching staff. Well... If 2K is having you hire coaches, which I know they do, 
That sounds awesome. But I think Doc takes a year off, does TV, you know, maybe Bill Simmons hires him for the network. We don't have the budget for Doc at this point. So something like that. Something where he's still close to the game, but he's able to kind of just chill a little bit and uh, get his bearings and and see what the 2025 bears out for him. So that's probably how I would go with it. And, ooh, do you really believe that Adrian Griffin can get that job? Because if, if he does, can we reunite him with his son? Uh, that one, that, that second part, I'm a little less sure of, um, it seems like he does have a legitimate opportunity to get this job though. And, uh, I knew that would excite you when I saw it and I, I'm kind of hyped with it too. I think he is, uh, an aspiring coach who's got a lot of pub in the past. So I think the, get this being like a legitimate shot at a job, and it's outside of Toronto as well. It's a, it's another location. It's not just it's someone looking at him as an internal hire. So I think we are seeing some real momentum behind Adrian Griffin for uh, the first time in maybe maybe ever. A couple of years ago, it seemed like he was getting some some pop too, but this this seems to be more legitimate. So. He and Charles Lee are guys I think we're going to see as coaches in the next two years. Charles Lee has been um, knocking at that glass ceiling for a second now, so uh, and I can I, see him. So I, I did see a report that there – I can't remember what job it was, but he, he had turned down a job uh, last year. Yeah, he, he did. Was, he was given an opportunity and turned it down. Yeah. So he's being a little selective, I think that's that's the right and my guy, Jerry Vanterpool, is still just languishing somewhere. So there's that. But if Adrian Griffin goes to Milwaukee, trades for his kid, and now he has to do Chris Middleton. Younger. Awesome. Yeah. I like that. I'm, yeah, I'm going I'm to push for that. <laughs> I, I'm going to push for that narrative man. until I can't push it anymore. I'm going to push it real good. That's very like, I'm going to push it real good. <clears throat> and now that this is a video medium, you can see this. <laughs> yeah, so. I I think AJ's still, still going to get uh, a second shot in Atlanta next year. Mm, now Quinn Snyder has anything to say about it. I, I Just, think he might he might work better in a Quinn Snyder system with a full off season to actually like wrap his head around it instead of like he was already learning all this new stuff coming from Shashevsky to Nate McMillan, two very different coaches. And then in the middle of the season, McMillan's ripped out of there and it's not a typical scenario where it's just an assistant coach who steps in and like changes system a little bit, but not much, but they hire an entirely new coach to come in, install a whole new system. That's like three offensive systems. You're expecting this guy to have mastered in like 
a 10 month period. So I, I think AJ Griffin's going to get a pass this off season and actually an ability to work his way into this, uh, system overall. Plus the guys like Sadiq Bay, I think he was losing a little bit of the bloom by the end of the Snyder run. Snyder seemed to be more willing to bench him and even Deandre Hunter, seemed to be like not a guy who Snyder necessarily loved towards the end there. So I think there might be a possibility that AJ Griffin ends up in a more prominent role next year and that they move some of these other wing players who are kind of ahead of him. See, I can't get Desmond Dang out of Memphis. I understand that. That's re- that's unrealistic. But see, you killing my dream of AJ Griffin to the Lakers that's going to be, like, my hallmark now. That's going to be, like, my guy. I'm going to, like, start, like, a protest. I'm going to have, like, a sign day one and then, like, day 236 <laughs> free AJ Griffin. I, we have, like, the video podcast now. Yeah. I think I'm just going to get, like, a card and I'm just going to have it and I'm just going to hold it up every just every podcast and protest for my guy from here on out. We got to get him. We got to get him free AJ Griffin. Just free him. Mm -hmm. Hell Quinn Snyder loves Jalen Johnson anyway. So you can let my boy go. I I think those are the two guys who are, he's going to try work into the system a little bit more next year. And like I said, some of those other, wing players who they've had seem to be falling out of favor to a certain extent. I just didn't like my boy not getting any run. So we got way off topic. Uh, Denver is way better than the Lakers. Nico. Yeah, that's true. Okay. That's the analysis. That's the hard-hitting analysis that I have for you is Denver is way better. Jokic is a offensive witch. Uh-huh. And yeah. you can't stop Murray – because Murray's back. Yeah, and it's official. I've been waiting to see it from this Denver team, and oh boy, have I seen it now. They can absolutely beat anyone. I I think they're coming into next year as the favorites coming off this season, and uh, it, I don't want to say it feels too much like that Warriors team that came up, but there's similarities there for sure. They just play basketball in a way different way than everyone else. And I I didn't sign off on it until I saw them start to legitimately kill folks in the playoffs. And now I'm kind of in the same boat. I think Denver could probably roll through everyone next season and considering where they've been now, if they continue to take steps forward, this is just a behemoth that's going to be hard to take down. I want to give respect to the Nuggets and what they're doing. Jokic is dominant. He is just great. What he's doing right now is so impressive, not just because it's the Lakers. That has nothing to do with it. It was in the earlier rounds, too. He's running every single time down the court in game one and game two. Every single time. Pushing tempo. Pushing it. He knew that he was going to 
out effort Anthony Davis. Says a lot about AD, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to give flowers to Jokic, and that's what we're going to do. So he's pushing tempo. And that really won them those games. Now, you get to game three, and he gets into foul trouble, right? Murray, you get a you get an outstanding Murray first half. Yeah. Now, Darvin Ham, going to give him some love. Made an adjustment. Second half, nah, you're not doing that. By the way, we would have just loved to see Missoula do that once to Jimmy Butler, but he didn't. But anyways, I digress. Jamal is now rendered kind of inefficient at this point. Jokic comes back. They keep the game semi-close. And Jokic goes into Terminator mode. And they go ahead and pull that game out. Mind you, LeBron is going downhill as much as he possibly could. The foot is bothering him. But he just, the threes, everybody gets mad at the threes. But he, dude, can we just say it? He's 38 years old with a foot injury, man. What do you want this man to do? How much energy, how much of this man needs to be left out on the court for people to be satisfied with what he's doing? He just can't go to the hole every single time or post up. Every single time, the energy level is not there, and I'm sure it's a little bit diminished by his foot injury as well. So, Denver knows all this, Michael Malone knows all this, and you need another guy other than Reeves, and you don't have it. And Gordon is playing his role, by the way, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Nico, you and I talked about this uh, yeah. not that long ago. Yeah. I think he's the guy for me where Denver fans are about to get mad. <laughs> yeah. If I, I'm a I, team... I not sign off on this pick, to be clear. If I'm a team... That is like they have a star or they need a star. I'm Michael Porter Jr. hunting. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be the breakout clip. So, again, if I'm a team who is looking for a star, Michael Porter Jr. is the guy. Because he's a guy that definitely, if you gave him more opportunities, 28 points is not out of the realm of possibility. And actually, I think it's more of a, it's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. Shout out to my guy, Paul Hammond. Wow. I'm a Paul Hammond guy. Yeah. Throw the ones up. You know what I'm saying? Throw the ones up. Um, but Michael Porter Jr. is a guy I would look at if I was looking to think outside the box and upgrade my squad. Knicks, if Boston wants to tinker, Atlanta, if you're trying to jump up, I don't think you're as as imaginative as you need to be. But also, you have Jalen Johnson if 
your guy is really sold on him, but Michael Porter Jr. next to Jalen Johnson, Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin, and somehow get rid of either Trey Young or Deshante Murray. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out here, bro. I'm just I'm out here. I'm out here thinking reckless, but I'm also out here thinking if I'm a front office, I'm always looking for either a distressed asset that somebody has underutilized, or I'm just looking at somebody where they just missed. They missed. And we can take that and move move forward with it. So now my question to you is, is that I understand that you're not signing off on that. I don't even want you to speak to that. I just want you to speak to what you're seeing. And also talk to me about the continuity of the Denver Nuggets. And almost kind of, they kind of luck their way into this continuity a little bit. A little. little. So. I, I think one of the things the Nuggets have done over this era that we've kind of turned a blind eye to in the media and haven't really zeroed in on as much is something Jamal Murray spoke on just a few days ago. He said after his injury, he felt like damaged goods and a distressed asset, and he felt like he was going to be traded. Michael Porter Jr., though he hasn't said it publicly, I expect felt a pretty similar way coming off of multiple serious injuries over the last couple years. And we've really been sitting here looking at the Nuggets as a disappointing team because of these injuries, and we really haven't given them their due. Even though many people, myself included, before... The injuries started piling up the year they traded for Aaron Gordon had actually predicted them to be the finals. So I bring all this up to say this. The Nuggets were in a situation where they were very close to a championship and they could have got impatient. But instead, they looked at their two young stars that they paired with Nikola Jokic. And they said, we believe in you guys. We're going to stick with you and we're going to wait this whole thing out because we think if we put everything together, we have a championship squad. And they ended up being right on that. But more than that, I think that that built a lot of faith and community within that locker room of guys who know this organization has my back. I have a role to play here. If I step into that role and I do my job, I'm going to get paid well and I'm going to have job security. And clearly it's done great things for the mental state of this team because, like we said, MPJ and Jamal Murray have absolutely came ready to play in these playoffs. And... Honestly, with a guy like MPJ, if you want to tie it back a little bit to what you're talking about, while you you can see the potential in the type of player he is to shoulder a bigger role, he's been hurt a whole lot. And 
if I'm MPJ, I might like the idea of being the third star on the team because if I'm the first or the second star and I'm getting used way, way more, it might be more likely that I end up getting hurt again. So I kind of think they've lucked, like you said, kind of lucked themselves into this perfect situation. And they've got three guys who I think are tied together pretty well. And again, yeah, I don't think it's the Warriors quite, but I wouldn't be shocked to see these three guys stay together the same way we've seen Steph, Dre, and Clay stick together to this point. So then they would remind me of like a San Antonio kind of, if you want to call it a dynasty or whatever. Similar, similar. You're never going to be so afraid of them because there are some limitations. Now, if Michael Porter Jr. somehow takes a, a another leap defensively where he went from absolute terrible, like had no interest whatsoever, mm-hmm. to actual interest, yeah. and then he goes from actual interest to, you know what? I got a couple instincts. If he had just a couple instincts and used his body, then they would be super scary. Now, that's, if that's big Clay Thompson, at the, right? At that point. Like he's not quite the shooter, but he's close. Yeah. Man, yeah. It's it's a scary thing that put together. Denver is a is a just a a giant that is kind of coming out of its slumber and uh you can see here's the other thing with Jokic that he's just going to get better because there's no fear of real injury with him you know unless somebody just like jumps on his back or something like that does he doesn't move in a way that would scare you as far as injury. So his mind will only get better because what he Jokic is 27, maybe 28. So we have at least through at least five years of like max prime. Yeah. Like what is that gonna look like? What is 29, 30, 31 going to look like for Nikola Jokic? I'm not sure. He is going to be an offensive hub. I think we can continue to expect that at this point. But I, I'm not sure what other elements he can add because like that three-pointer keeps getting better. And better, and we've seen guys like Brook Lopez just become knockdown three-point shooters as they get older. And if Jokic starts to slow down a little bit, but he adds that kind of stuff to his game, man. The top 10 all-time conversations are going to eventually open themselves up. This, this is an incredible player who is continuing to take steps forward and... I think might be your MVP favorite again next season. Mm. Well, the one good thing, if he finishes this off, if he finishes this whole thing off, 
you're looking at least you can just I don't think it bothers him necessarily, but the comments about oh he's won two MVPs and he still can't win. Yeah, they're gone. Those will be gone. We don't have to hear that rhetoric anymore whatsoever. Maybe this frees him a little bit. Maybe he gets a little more. Um, God, I want you. You got to say it for me. I don't give a. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he gets a little bit of like I'm just. Yeah, this is me. I'm him. Yeah, he already plays that way. To the like, he plays that way. But I, man, unlocking another level of it that could be scary hours i mean you have a guy who who walks around really unassuming mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying he doesn't know he's great i'm not saying that i def, i definitely think that Jokic is really smart um i think he's he's well coached in his answers to the uh media mm-hmm. whether by himself or whatever he's measured he gives you a little bit of like kind of Kevin James, you know, I don't know. I'm just a guy just trying to do what I do. I'm chunky guy just trying to make his way in the world, right? But he's a killer, no doubt. He's here to take your heart. And again, I go back. When you're this skilled, you can be this athletically challenged. And again, where we look at John Morant, we go, hmm, not just for the off-the-field incidents. And we, I was trying not to hit on it, but I guess we're going to have to. But just for his acrobatics in the air, it just it doesn't look like a long-term bet when it comes to jog. But with Jokic, you don't have any of those issues. No, no. That's generally... A negative you get with bigs is the athleticism ends early. And then, like, you look at a guy like Dwight Howard, who was damn near MVP of the league level himself. And he now, at this age, is playing in China. Because once that athleticism passes you by, you generally pretty quickly age out of effectiveness in the NBA. Because a lot of centers are built around like rim finishing protecting the rim rebounding talking about your andre drummonds your deandre jordans those types of players but Jokic has so much skill in his game that like it it doesn't matter what he is going to become because there are 18 different things he does on the floor at an incredibly high level once he loses one or two of those He's still going to be doing 16 things at a very high level, and he continues to get better at other parts of his game throughout his career. He's going to add other stuff. He's going to be able to do that, have that three-point shot. He's going to maybe be able to blitz a little bit more on the pick and roll. Uh, I don't know. There's going to be stuff we see from Jokic that we haven't seen yet, and... I, I just can't wait to watch it happen. Uh, you were talking about the 
Spurs and how they're kind of similar in build to the team San Antonio's put together. I I could kind of see him aging in a similar way to a guy like Tim Duncan. Not not as effectively defensively, obviously, but I could see his a game aging in a similar way where, okay, I'm more groundbound now, but that doesn't change anything else I do well. So, I man, th- this is a very special player, and I, I'm comparing him to someone I have top five all time, so that, that can tell you. The other thing on the other side of the docket of that, I saw LeBron James make a mistake in game three. Mm. And it, it's not, oh, he, the ball, he fumbled the ball out of bounds and for the dunk. No. I saw LeBron James not trust Austin Reeves in critical crunch time possessions. Mm. And I saw LeBron try to be LeBron, like, I'm going to take over. I'm going to do this. This is the time. And it didn't work. So he's going to have, if this is how LeBron is aging out, he will have to recalibrate next year and allow Austin Reeves to take more of the reins of the offense for the Lakers to be where they kind of want to be. Because I still think there is a lot of positivity that comes out of this series and out of this run for the Lakers. I don't look at this and go, oh, this was an absolute disaster. You had a team that 66% of the year was considerably under 500. Their offensive uh, identity was absolutely nothing because you didn't even have the stars on the floor for periods of time, you couldn't gain any momentum whatsoever. You make a trade, and it seems like all all of it kind of just falls into place. Now, is that getting one person out the building and allowing uh, somebody who has been in your system for a year and a half to make his mark? Maybe. I don't think D'Lo is going to stay as much as I was in on him early, but I knew, I knew, I knew D'Lo would show up at some point. I just knew it. Yeah, this is, this is the D'Lo story. There's so many teams who have had this guy and really bought in in the beginning. And then as time continues to tick on and D'Lo himself comes out like it it's the same player all the time but just sometimes that player's making shots and when that's happening you can you can believe in it a little more could he be a souped up Malcolm Brogdon off the bench could he be a six man uh, maybe but i i kind of think he's a souped down Malcolm Brogdon i think i'd rather have Malcolm Brogdon in that situation almost definitely than D'Lo. No, no. Well, here's hear me out. Keep yeah. him as a second side initiator. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. never a primary dude anymore. Yeah, yeah. Could yeah. you could you maximize his effectiveness that way? Uh, potentially, I think. 
I don't know if he has the basketball IQ to do it, to be honest, because he's been in situations before where he's trying to be off the ball, whether it's with Anthony Edwards or Spencer Dinwiddie or even Steph Curry. And he continued to just kind of make the same mistakes. He, he did some stuff defensively in Minnesota and he took a step defensively, but he's still not a good one-on-one defender. He improved so much as a team defender, but he's still food defensively one-on-one in a way that Malcolm Brogdon just isn't. And Malcolm Brogdon's ability to shoot at off the ball, which D'Lo can, can do when he wants to, but again, a lot of the times you pass him the ball, he's dribbling. I... I don't know if I see that kind of upside for him. I, I just I I've got this this vision in my head of a Washington Wizards team next year that's built around Bradley Beal, Beal, D'Lo, and Jalen Brown, and I feel like uh, we might be on our way in that direction. I'm trying to resuscitate who I think is a a talented player's career. And I'm trying to reinvent him. Yeah. And I I see the good. Uh, I know what the bad is, but I, I see the good. And I just wonder if D'Lo would be in a in a position. Not for the Lakers. It, do, it doesn't matter who it is. Just be in the position to kind of go – Hey, I'm a second side initiator from here on out. I'm I'm gonna take the open three. I'm I'm not gonna. And as if he got just a t- if he was more just a little more consistent on the offensive end, yeah. the defense, which is poor, might not matter as much. No, and the the team defense is good enough that. Like, he doesn't put himself in a position where he's unplayable until the playoffs once the teams start, like, targeting him. So that that's a passable level. But to a certain extent, to me, this feels like the same conversation we were just having about Russell Westbrook, where it's like, if he reprograms the way he plays basketball... In, in this way, he can be successful, and it's just like an outright refusal to do so. And we see, we've seen it with Russ for short periods of time, like we just saw it with the Clippers, but uh, I got a, a sad story for you if you think that's the same Russ coming back next year. And I, I kind of feel the same way about D'Lo. I, I appreciate him. And the one last Hail Mary... I might think about for D'Lo is I wonder, I wonder if you are the D'Lo team, if you trade for Jay Sean Tate, a guy who played with him at Ohio State and seen like the beginnings of, of this player, I wonder if he'd be able to talk to him on a different level than some of these other dudes in the past because we've seen D'Lo with just about every style of leadership. I wonder if one coming from his own personal life and his journey before the NBA might give him a different perspective. 
but I, I kind of think that's the last Hail Mary we got left to throw. Mm. Well, we need to talk about something a little more positive. We can't leave the pot on something like that. That's crazy. There's a couple things that we need to talk about. Um, I'm going to play a little game with you. Okay, I'm here. We got coaches that got fired. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, seems like a slew of them. Gonna ask you a couple questions, mm-hmm. and it's it's really it's one phrase or another. It's either player empowerment or front office over adjustment. And the reason why I say this is because I bring up the continuity question again. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay to fail. Sometimes you learn a lot from failure. I have in my own personal life, and I'm using it now. Mm-hmm. That's why this pod is getting so much better. <laughs> Look at Nico. He's looking awesome. He's getting more sexy for the nuptials coming up. Shannon. Working on it. You know? I'm a, my voice is so awesome today. I can't even believe it. <laughs> um, But... I look at Phoenix. Ishby is the owner. Monty Williams is gone. Uh, Mikhail Borges came out and said, I'm going to tell you right now, Monty's going to be successful somewhere else. That was not Monty's fault. Yeah. Okay? Uh, We had Budenholzer. I'm never going to sit here and say that the loss of a family member did not have anything to do with what was going on with that dude. Sorry. Yeah, of course. I'm sorry. You, you, People can be mad at him all they want, talk about the lack of adjustments, and I was on him about the not, you know, Giannis on Jimmy and all this other stuff. But, uh, you know, there's just days where you are – you just are able to breathe. That's it. You know what I'm saying? So, I understand people who do not give him a pass. But, you know, we can look at that either way. Mm-hmm. Then you have Doc in Philly. You have Nick Nurse in Toronto. Who else got fired? Who else got let go? Uh, Dwayne Casey. All right. So, Nico, in Phoenix, front office overreaction or player empowerment? I kind of think neither to a certain extent. I'm not playing the game wrong. This is how this is how Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo gets like epic numbers every Sunday night, dude. I I think player empowerment is generally the right decision to be leaning towards with your coach because if you can't get buy-in from your team, you're not doing your job as a coach. And I don't think that was the problem with Monty Williams. However, I kind of think it was an appropriate reaction from the front office because 
this this Monty Williams team of a million mid-rangers is not going to work with Devin Booker, KD, and DeAndre Ayton. Even if you trade DeAndre Ayton, it's just not an offense that's going to meld to these players. And if you could, if you hypothetically could have talked to Monty and get him to agree to make some serious adjustments, then I would call it a front office overreaction. But if you had that conversation and that wasn't possible, then I think it's a inappropriate reaction that doesn't really have much to do with player empowerment. I'm going to say that the owner is very intense. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to call this a front office overreaction because it came from pressure from the owner. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So. I agree with that. I'm just the idea of it being an overreaction is the only thing. Well, I mean, you here's the thing. Monty is a good coach. He also is a great communicator. Here's the thing. You add an offensive dude to the staff and then you're okay. Because the boy, here's the thing that a lot of people always want to do. They want to change the voice in the room, which, okay, I get it. I understand. I understand when a voice, when a, when somebody loses a room. I'm going to bet on Monty Williams. I'm just going to bet on him. Yeah, I'm gonna bet on a former player who had some some good years, and then he fell into the role player mm-hmm. and was able to develop as a coach and went through some things in New Orleans, and now has brought brought it here, and he seems like a different guy. I think if Dan Tony, I'm not saying he would, but I'm just saying if Dan Tony was like his bench coach for the offense or whatever. Or somebody who fit these guys, and maybe you make a couple tweaks here and there, and you get players that fit the other guys that you have on the team. Are we? I mean, because we're not saying that Phoenix is far away, right? We're not saying nobody's saying Phoenix is far away. If if what you're saying is the conversations that that happened. And Monty hypothetically was like really willing to make those sort of whole style changes. Then I agree with you. It was a front office overreaction. I don't even think he even got a chance to do it. I think they were just mad. Yeah, it was yeah, over. Front office overreaction. As yeah. Well. So, all right. Philadelphia. Doc Rivers. Um, front office overreaction or player empowerment. I guess player empowerment, but it's ding, a- ding, ding, <laughs> ding, I, ding, ding. I don't know though because Joel Embiid seemed pissed off that Doc Rivers got out of there, but also getting Doc Rivers out of there seemed to be the only way you could retain James Harden. But you're still—it doesn't look like you're retaining James Harden if they bring in MDA to. Philadelphia, and then James Harden signs in Houston. Uh, Daryl Morey might have to wear a dunce cap. I, I love him. I love him so much in my heart. But this, uh, can I say both? Can I say both? <laughs> the front office overreaction and player empowerment because I, I honestly think it was. Well, you can only say it if James Harden leaves, yeah. because it's player empowerment right now. Because the comments. From James is like not playing for that dude. Yeah. And your boy Maury is like, oh no. Precious. 
I can't lose my precious James. And that is so crazy, too, because... That's a love affair that needs to be spoken about. It was not long ago in Houston that James Harden's trade request, like one of the first lines in it, had to do with them hiring Steven Silas over Doc Rivers. So, ah, man, the fact that he he turned this quickly on Doc and this hard, I, I'm not sure. I'm, it, it's not looking good in Philadelphia. That's all I'm willing to say. I got a story for you. I got a whole theory that I'm I'm cooking up for Houston. Okay. This is for your team. Okay, I'm here for it. All right, so so Houston trades James Harden a couple years ago. All right, yeah. they yeah. they kind of tank whatever. They get a couple pieces. Now James looks at it and says, "Hmm, I really loved it down in Houston. Love the vibe. Love how I could just go out at night, hang out with my rapper friends." You know, just get loose. Do what I need to do. I'm going to go back to Houston. Now, <clears throat> they hired Ime Adelka. Okay? He's there. Yeah. Former Boston guy. Huh. Man, could you imagine in two years, Daryl Morey showing back up in Houston? <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> like some serious WWE like swear. Oh man. I told you, James, just just this was the process. This literally was the process, James. Yeah. And he becomes he becomes uh governor what is it? Senator Palpatine yeah. in the yeah, and becomes the Sith overlord. That is. I the way I look at the Harden situation and why I think Houston is... I think we could get Sadler to play the role of Daryl Morey. Yeah. I'm going to write this, I think. Okay. <laughs> I, the Harden situation I look at and why I think Houston's in a good position to land him again is last year when he was in Brooklyn... He knew he was unhappy with the situation. Obviously, looking back at the situation, there, there, there might have been some reasons for him to be unhappy. And he looked back on his time in Houston, and he knew the team was built with him in mind, and he knew he was the most important person in that organization. And throughout that entire era, the guy who orchestrated that was Daryl Morey. Then he he ends up working it out. He finds his way to Philadelphia, reunites with Daryl Morey. And then he opts out of his option to become a free agent. Daryl Morey comes to James with sort of a, a deal, an agreement. Hey, if you take a little less money, we can sign PJ Tucker and John Ewell House and win a championship this year james has wanted to win a championship throughout his career it's eluded him so i think he takes that offer 
Then they go through this season. Daniel House is not the guy he was cracked up to be. He's also not a guy who Harden really liked beforehand. So I wonder if there's a little bit of prickliness there. He, they bring in P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker isn't really the P.J. Tucker that used to play with James, who used to hit every corner three. Now all of a sudden he's hitting 30-some percent of them. And he goes into these playoffs, and it ends the same way a lot of the playoffs have ended for him in Houston, without him having any form of support. And it kind of feeling a little slighted by the fact that he had to take less money in the first place. So I wonder if he looks at all those things and the way they were all laid out. And while it was Daryl Morey still prioritizing James, it wasn't the same prioritization he felt in Houston. So I kind of think that might be what has rubbed him maybe the wrong way and is looking is leading him to look back for a home in Houston. But I think kind of the bad news for James is even if he returns to Houston on that four-year, $200 million contract he wants, it's not the James Harden show anymore, and it won't be. And he's just going to have to adjust to that as he gets older. I wonder if that's going to be easier for him to do in the city he feels most comfortable in on the most money he can make so he can feel that way emotionally. I think we might be looking at a different Harden era one way or another. I just hope it's one he walks into kind of acknowledging. There's a lot of ifs. What happens if this happens? If he changes this? I think there's one if. If his attitude changes here? No, I I don't think... I think there's one if. I think the if is if James Harden... Acknowledges he is no longer the heliocentric son of a team. Coming off what fifty point playoffs? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I your it's the only thing to say to it is is that you have a really different opinion than I do of him. Uh, my opinion is well documented. I'm not going to go over it anymore. Yeah. I also think it's a huge mistake for Houston to do that. I think there are so many other vets that you can get to help your young people, but you do whatever it is that you want to do. And I want to move on to the guy. We are now looking, we just count down days to the draft. Victor Wingbanyama is about to be in San Antonio Spur. Now, we love the runway for him to just do all some of the things that he's doing with the French team. Yeah. But you have a bunch of salary cap. And uh, he did say he was looking to win S-A-S-A-P. So... Do you spend some of your salary cap and get better? Or do you continue the rebuild and grab maybe one more piece to kind of fit along Victor's timeline and then go for it? Well, 
I think you you have to get better on some level this year, but they already have a decent amount of young <coughs> who were figuring out last season between uh, Sohan, Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham, who they all added last season, and then guys like Trey Jones, Devin Bissell, Keldon Johnson, who are just stepping into bigger roles. So I think the idea of adding more like role pieces kind of might not make sense for the Spurs. So that one guy who they could maybe find a way to add to their team might be the better look, especially considering the Spurs just trade DeJounte last year. So they are sitting on a whole crap load of Hawks fans. If there is a guy who they want who might be on a little bit of the cheaper side, like uh, maybe they revisit Toronto, a common trade partner, and look at a guy like OG Ananobi, who who could maybe fit solid in that system, I'd be more into that kind of move than them looking to kind of fill out around uh, Victor with some more lower-end players. I just like the lower-end players they already have enough. Yeah, I think you could add a vet somehow. Um, you definitely don't have to go all in this year. Um, pretty good improvement would be suffice. I mean, they were no one overall pick bad this year. So, I mean, <clears throat> any sort of improvement is going to be better. Um, I totally agree with that. Um, I don't think you rush this. I think you could find your way back into the lottery again. Maybe you're on the, you know, on the backhand side of it, though, with Victor, you know. But I think it would be prudent for them to kind of do a slow build, at least another draft pick, I would think, just another solid building block, especially if you can use some of your trade assets to move up next year, right? Like if for some reason you had a guy. That you were like, okay, I want to go get that guy. Do that situation. That guy's coming out in 24. Who knows, man? It's it's a long time away. I know. It's a long time away. We'll we'll give a little <laughs> teaser though. I uh, I've watched the top two guys in next year's class, and I think I'm pretty comfortably taking my number seven player this year, Cam Whitmore, over both of them. Well, I'll I'll go like this. Nobody knew who Taylor Hendricks was until, like, at this time last year? No, no, but he's not, like, a a guy you would trade up multiple picks for. I'm not saying you need to give up five, maybe two. I don't know. Still, I... I, I, All I'm saying is that you could... One year of rebuild, mm-hmm. one more year of rebuild, or whatever, it's not going to hurt you. You no, know? No, it won't. It won't. <laughs> I, I And I wouldn't mind if they like decided to go with that. I just, I wouldn't prioritize it the way they did this year. Like, towards the end of the year, just playing a bunch of guys who can't really play to secure your draft position i don't think that's necessary they're not gonna do that but i think you can allow victor to really um 
experiment his game. Yeah. To yeah. the point where he learns things through through the mistakes, and you figure out if oh, sure. he's a oversized, supersized, gigantor wing. I don't know. Yeah. Or is he a five? Or is he a two guard? Yeah, but I that's that's kind of the direction I think they should go in. Um, like what Jason Kidd did with Giannis, kind of. Where you're just like throwing him out there at every different position. Sometimes he's the point guard, sometimes he's the five. You're just seeing what he's best at and kind of helping him develop those skills. That's yeah. also the direction I think they should be going in. I'm just more advising against like the turbo tank towards the end of the year that they did this season. I just don't think you'll get as much value from that uh, this coming season as you would from just the extra 20 games of Victor trying to make it work in an effective NBA system. I want to hit on one last thing before we get out, <clears throat> and it's not anything to do with the draft. We're going to probably do a lot of draft next week. Yeah, we got some draft stuff coming up. But there's something that I've seen in this playoffs, Nico, mm -hmm. and we kind of talked about it with a, you know, a friend group that we're in. But I think today's NBA, and it's showing itself more and more, and I'm going to sound like old guy, there's a need for a point guard. There's a need for one. Like a real one. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know why? Because Boston couldn't get into offensive sets. They saw a zone and couldn't get into offensive sets. Man, yeah. They absolutely just start chucking up threes because it was like, oh my God, there's a zone. What do we do? So the so the Chris Pauls and the Andre Millers that people just laugh at me about or whatever serve a purpose in this league because those people don't allow twenty two to three runs against a team that is completely inferior to you. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, that actually might be another argument for why the Spurs are in kind of a good situation because Trey Jones is already one of those type of guys. Mm -hmm. uh, the Celtics, that's been my criticism of this team for a long time now is just their lack of primary initiation. And they've just continued to double down on it. They, they brought in Malcolm Brogdon in a combo guard. They traded for Derek White, a combo guard. They have uh, our guy Marcus Smart, obviously a combo guard. And even the extra guy they're trying to throw in this rotation in Sam Hauser is a shooter. They, they don't really have anyone who can just put the ball on the floor and calm the entire offense down. Unfortunately, the guy who is best at that right now is Tatum and you need Tatum to be your number one scorer if you're going to win games in this series because uh, he's a okay he's a okay initiator but he's the best one they have on their team then that that, that proves my point 
that proves my point. I'm I'm doubling on your point. I couldn't agree with you more in this situation because, like, they need to slow the game down quite often. They're not a team that's going to get out and kill you in transition. And especially playing against Nikola Jokic in transition, he's the best outlet passer in the game. He's going to dot you up in transition. If you can't get out and run with the Nuggets and you can't slow it down in the half court to create shots, like, what exactly are you doing? You're just relying on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to score 40 points each every game, and that's not going to be a successful strategy. A good point guard will get you... Hmm... At least... 22 to 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. That's what a good point guard will do. Yeah. You're going to tell me some of these teams can use easy 22 points? Yeah, of course. Let's just go on the low end. Those, yeah, man. So many teams could use a player like that, and they don't, they don't really make them like that anymore as part of the – the problem there's one coming out this year but you need to get all the way up to two if you want to take him so whenever point guards like this you think that scoot is this initiator i think he's a scorer so we'll we'll definitely have to be i like the passing so much yeah and i think the passing was just a a thing that he used as a branding tool so we'll see man i i couldn't disagree last year he Last year, he wasn't really the, a scorer throughout the season. He completely ceded control to guys like City and Leonard Miller. He didn't do anything in his first year coming in. The only time he did the, the intense scoring was when he was coming in as a six-man, and that's what they wanted him to do. When they started starting him, he he's in the back seat. Even even in high school, he was an initiator first. I think the guy this player seems to emulate more than anyone else to me i i hear john morant a lot but i watch him play and i see a whole lot more chris paul than john morant i'd have to see it i don't we, we'll we'll have to we'll have to kind of you're gonna have a scoot episode coming yeah, up I because think. this is that's he wants to score he wants the ball i i don't think he so cares too much about scoring at all we'll see we'll see he, he might have to in charlotte though I mean, he's he will have to, and he'll love it. He'll love it. Agreed. I'm getting twenty shots up a game. This is great. And uh, I, I, I <clears throat> has he even taken twenty in the G League ever? No, because he couldn't, know. could not. Like, he's had full games as the scorer. I don't know. He had games against Victor. We put up 20, 20 uh, uh, FGAs. Yeah. So, all right. We will definitely have to get on that. The other thing, I guess, we have to hit people up with the socials. Find us on Twitter at FrontRunnerPC, and Nico is at at NicoFRPC. Uh, I think we are – this is also going up on video, so check us out on YouTube if you want to see, like, the live stuff. There was dancing. There were, like, hand gestures. People turning off their cameras. We're gonna get rid of that. That's not gonna happen. That's why it's turned. 
I, I so, had to do it like several times. I'm trying to show you here. I'm getting 99. You got to trust your guy. I know. You got to trust your guy. But I got to be able to hear what my guy's saying. And I, sometimes when my video's on, your video's on, it just sounds like crackle. Uh, all right. Well, we'll, we'll have to. We'll have to upgrade something on your side. Anyways, um, this week going forward, there will be some sort of football thing. I'm going to play around with it. It's going to be fun. Uh, there'll be a bunch of pop culture or like uh, music references in that football podcast. It'll come out either Wednesday or Thursday. There will be a live pod coming on Friday. Uh, so this feed is hot. We got a lot going on, Nico. We all see it. Uh, some more draft content coming up soon, too. We'll yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, uh, please revisit the the uh, pod, the previous pod uh, on this feed. Uh, it was a celebration of my mother passing away, and kind of hopefully it will help people who are either struggling. <clears throat> or have struggled in the past with this and maybe this will help you um it's also on youtube so we're proud of it uh we're going to be lightening lightening the uh mood a little bit i would believe this friday coming up um so we'll be all over the board with that we want to hit tackle issues but we also want to hit you with some funny and, and and things of that nature so look out for that but Please check out that pod if you're, you know, you have a loved one struggling with health, you have, or, you know, uh, somebody passing, you know, uh, recently, just uh, listen to the pod and hopefully it'll kind of help, maybe soothe, maybe seeing somebody else struggle a little bit with it and also kind of cope with it as well will help you as well. It will help you. So, with that being said, I think we are pretty much done, right? We're done. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking we're done. I and I'll just add to the previous pod. I've already heard from a few people in my life who have listened to the pod that it it touched them pretty deeply. So I I think your ability, you and Belinda's ability to share your story with with your mother in her final days are it's beautiful and it's something that i think can help a lot of people come to grips and wrap their head around things that are going on the only reason to put it out is to um we're the i guess what i'm taking away from my mother's passing and her legacy is that we're gonna build value in people <clears throat> we're gonna try to find ways we're gonna give tools to have people walk around here with their head up high and not allow people to just systematically get ripped down to a point where they don't feel worthy of just basic human emotions. Mm -hmm. That should never happen. And we're going to try to put a stop to that. So... So with that being said, for the Canadian Bomber, for the Canadian Shaman, for the Canadian Bill Simmons, and now in perpetuity, the Canadian son of Loretta Curran, and also for this pod, 
the Canadian Raphael Stone because he's in love with Amen Thompson. We'll get on that next week. That's the tease. That's the tease. I am a professional. Uh, we're going to send this pot out uh, toward you momentarily, and we're out. <laughs>